0: And welcome to the Glow Journal podcast, a conversation with the beautiful minds behind the world's biggest beauty brands. I'm your host, beauty writer Gemma Watts, and in this episode, I'm joined by the founder of Cosmetics 27, Michelle Everard. Michelle grew up with more of a love for the outdoors than a love for beauty, although, in a sense, it was the former that brought her to the latter. Michelle's love of the outdoors led to a desire to be an adventurer, an archaeologist specifically, as she tells me one of her earliest wishes was to discover something. She found herself naturally drawn to science, completing her studies at medicine and pharmacy schools before taking a job within the beauty industry and discovering a passion for product development. What led to the development of Cosmetics 27, however, was something different entirely. That aforementioned love of the outdoors saw Michelle injure herself skiing, and amidst her search to find a product to heal the subsequent scar, she was introduced to a plant with regenerative properties that had, at the time, not been used to even a tenth of its potential. That plant became the base of her first product, the now Cult Balm 27 fulfilling her desire for discovery and fascination with creation. And despite having no initial plans to bring that product to market, it now sits at the core of the Cosmetics 27 brand. I have long used and loved Cosmetics 27, but what I found to be just as remarkable as those products was Michelle's willingness to acknowledge and to reflect on decisions that she deems to be failures, as well as the way in which she talks about independent brands and multinationals coexisting in the beauty space, with each brand and, more importantly, each idea, pushing those around them to do better. In this conversation, Michelle shares how social media trends might be affecting our skin's balance the ways in which the barrier to entry to the beauty industry has been lowered and why remaining an independent brand is both freeing and a hurdle. Cosmetics 27 is based in France. Your career began in the United States and your pharmaceutical studies took place in Belgium. But I would love to go right back to the very beginning. Where did you grow up and what is your earliest memory of beauty?
1: Well, I grew up in a, in a small town, uh, well, mid, mid-sized town in, in Belgium. And... Um, um, first, um, we were when we grew were growing up uh, the three in the family, and uh, we always traveled a lot. And my parents just, you know, taught us to travel the world. So we, you know, we, we all actually left Belgium. My sister and my brother, and uh, I was I was a, what you would call an outdoor person. I mm-hmm. was like a tomboy. And I spend my time in the country. I've always been um, fascinated with nature and been outside as much as I could. I'm not an inside person or interior woman, as you would call them in mm-hmm. French. Um, this is why I'm sitting here in the country and you know escaping Paris as soon as I can. And beauty actually was not a, I would say, priority. It wasn't for my mother. It was in growing up, but it was always about health. And and very fundamental, basic things and and good things. So eating well was important. Um, doing sports was important. Being outside was extremely important. My father was one to put up put us outside on the weekends, and you know we were out, and they wouldn't let us in before <laughs> dawn, and we had to just like you know enjoy life, just learning you know the nature, I guess. And um, and so this is the way I I, I grew up, and. Uh, and all I remember, you know, because the question was actually asked to me. To me, but um, all I remember from my mother is that she was. I remember seeing um, makeup removers, and I remember very well the brand. It was Jean d'Avez. It's in, like an ancient uh, French brand, which was one of the one of those early and famous, you know, skincare brands. Um, I don't think it exists today, or maybe in some institutes in France. But but she was always, you know, cleansing her skin. And uh, before she would go to bed in the morning. So this is what I remember vividly. And then she would use creams that were more like um, um, pharmaceutical brands. That's what I remember. This is not what made me go and study pharmacy, by the way. But, uh, but that's, that's how I grew up. And nature, health and, and sports were the main thing in my things in my life, really.
0: What did you think that you might be when you grew up?
1: At first, I wanted to be an adventurer mm-hmm. and a journalist, reporter, actually, ah. you name it, like, you know, um, geography or even, you know, like, um, you know, war, not war reporter because at that time we weren't talking about that, but, um, but a reporter for sure. And then it turned out to um, archaeologist. Yeah. And the reason was that my constant quest was to find something, discover something, and then I moved on to uh, my, you know, to college, and um, and then after that, I um, I started, you know, um, medicine. Science was what I was, you know, kind of drawn naturally to. I was just good in science in college, and I wanted to, my my latest actually after that was that I wanted to go and work into research, but only for genetics. So I started med school actually initially. Um, And then decided that, um, because at the time, I was very much into uh, sports. I had spent one year in California when I was a student, right Mm -hmm. before university. And I was in California. And it was in the um, 80s. And uh, when you were in the 80s in California, it was like, you know, the West, the Wild West. And and it was just like, you know, they were the, the first and the pioneers of health healthy life, um, you know, health food, and I was into that, sports and, you know, healthcare and healthy living. And, uh, and so I decided that med school was gonna be, you know, to, to work into, uh, into research, it was gonna be about probably 14 years of my life uh, into books. And, uh, and so that kind of got me to, to think, and I moved over to pharmacy school, only because I wanted to go into research.
0: And then, so was that, was pharmacy school in Belgium?
1: Yes. I studied all my, uh, my my university in Belgium, yeah.
0: And then what prompted the move to the US? I understand that that's where your career started. Were you offered a role and then moved there or did you go there looking for a job?
1: I got a, after I graduated from pharmacy school, uh, my only goal in life was still the same, sports. And going back to the States, yeah. um, California was a bit far, but I made, you know, I did, I went out of my way to find a way to, you know, to get back to the States and through an acquaintance of my, my father, um, I, f- I found an internship at the time in a company in um, Connecticut, which I had no clue where it was, by the way, I thought it was like far from New York and <laughs> And so um, I, um, I managed to, to get myself into this internship for six months. Uh, I was going to be six months in New York and six, six months in London for a company that was called at the time Beatrice Food and owned Max Factor, oh, Almay, wow. Halston, and uh, Factor brand. Yeah. And so they put me on Factor fragrances at the time. And uh, that's why, you know, that's how I got back into the state because I really wanted to go back and, and live in the United States. Um, this was my goal. And then I ended up staying seven years in the States. So after the six months, I decided to stay. And it was a, a series of, of kind of like, um, you know, kind of, you know, not accidents, but uh, events in life. Like the company was acquired, you know, sold off to, um, to a guy who brought it back to California. That was Max Factor. I decided I, was, I wanted to stay on the East Coast. And, uh, well, they didn't offer me a job first. I was a junior marketing manager. And uh, and so I decided to find another job. And I, I got into L'Oréal in uh, in New York. And that's how I got, you know, started really uh, at Cosmere and stayed five years uh, with uh, Cosmere uh, working on Ralph Lauren Fragrances. So wow. my, my big part of my career was on fragrance and fragrance development. And I loved those years. I mean, it was like, you know, the best years to be, I think, in New York. And uh, and then one day I um, they asked me to, you know, maybe it's time to go back to Europe. And they asked me to move back to France for Ralph Lauren and for L'Oreal. So that's when I moved back to to Europe. And that was in, in ni- 1991.
0: So it was about 20 years in the beauty industry for you. You've said that you loved it. What, what was it that you loved about your job and then what were some of the more challenging aspects?
1: Um what I love, I mean, I have a passion for this industry because I think it's constantly reinventing things. Uh and uh whether it's you know marketing, whether it's um product, and of course my, my passion is on product development and uh whether it was fragrance at the time or skincare today. Um, I think it's a fascinating industry. You know, my father had told me this. Um, he was in the Coca Cola business, and he told me, you know, if you find a job, go look for um, pharma- pharmacy, cosmetics, or food, because those three <laughs> would be the ones to keep that would keep growing because people will never want to die. They will always want to look young, and they'll always eat. And he was not so
0: far from from the truth. That's still accurate today.
1: Yeah, yeah, and so uh, I wouldn't, you know, say the same for for all, you know, trades and for all products. But yes, it is, and I think it's a, just a fascinating industry, and especially today, because there's so much in 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 terms of research, and innovation, and every step. It's like you know, it's more of uh, of a challenge. Like you know, for brands that were retail, um, kind of like anchored, digital was just like such a you know a chaos, but still. It's, it's pushing people to look further, to do other things, to think differently, to to put things in perspective. I think it's fascinating that every day is going to be something different. And, you know, when I was working in New York and I had my friends in pharmacy in Belgium, they would ask me when, I, when I'd go home, well, what do you do every day? And like, what do you do when you start your day? And every time I don't know, <laughs> I just go into my office and see what mess is on my desk and what crisis I'm gonna have to solve. And this is my day. And then eventually I have to work on other things that you know that I know I like fundamental. But you just like do <laughs> little crisis every day, and and it's that's what I like actually. And it's uh, it, it sometimes get get to people, you know. It's it can be you know eating you up, but it's that's what I really like. The most challenging parts. Um, Managing people is Mm. probably um, the hardest thing, especially today, for the younger generation. But I think it's the most rewarding, satisfying, and incredible part of of the job also. Um, And the most essential, because whether you want to be digital or not, you need people. So those were the challenges and and, you know, but I still, and I, I, when I started my company, it was really out of my passion. And then you make it into you know something that's worthy also for people, meaning managing people.
0: Did you have any intention of eventually starting your own business?
1: Well, honestly, yes, uh, mm. because uh, it's always been. Uh, I guess I grew up with this. It's uh, it's in my uh, DNA. Uh, I come from a family of entrepreneurs and, and, and very independent um, entrepreneurs my father, my brother, my sister as well. And so uh, I guess it, it's it's a way of, you know, of growing up um, and the, and a way of, of seeing things and approaching uh, the business. And yet introducing and launching a brand, honestly, uh, the longer I stayed in the industry and especially in big groups where, you, you know, you, you just become a, an offspring of, of the big groups and, and you feel, you know, it's like there's no... Like everyone would tell you there's no life after L'Oreal and there is life. <laughs> and, but you learn so much over there. That's, you know, I, I really uh, give them back, but um, introducing a brand in the market when I did, this was back in 2009, I was like, you gotta be crazy. I mean, there's so much out there already. So why would you want to have you know, yet another product on the market? And yet, you know, it happened. And I went. I went a little backwards because I did it not with the idea of, of launching a brand. That wasn't my initial project. It was about a product, the Bomb 27. That That's what got me started.
0: Let's spend a bit of time on this because everything really did change following a skiing accident, which makes sense now that I know how much you loved sport and being active. You had several knee surgeries and you were looking for something to treat the scarring that those surgeries are left behind what were your findings when you were trying to heal these scars and why do you think that the products that already existed and that were already on the market were just not really cutting it
1: well it was it was not quite like that but um yeah it's true that I wanted to uh, you know I wasn't walking but all I wanted was not to see the scar because mm. it was kind of like the sign you know of what happened and uh so I, I wouldn't say that I tried everything and you know I had to find something, you know, that worked better than everything. I'm sure there are, you know, incredible remedies. Also, you know, one skin is not the other. But mm-hmm. I tried a lot of products and I didn't see, you know, the results I wanted to see, meaning nothing. <laughs> and so uh, so one day I, you know, I tried a lot of products, a lot of specific, you know, scarring products. Um, and, uh, but of course I didn't go as far as, um, like laser or any kind of, you know, surgical treatments mm. or, uh, you know, aesthetic treatments at the time. And the day that I, and it's actually my sister who gave me this, you know, this cream, which was a pharmaceutical cream. I can't even remember the name of it. It was like a small brand that, you know, um, her her husband is a traumatologist. He works in the mountains, so he's very uh, aware of all, you know, those accidents and, and scarring and, and healing. And she gave me that, and I tried it, and it, it was just amazing because literally, where I put this, you know, the bit of scar where I put, it, because I was using different products on different parts, testing. Mm. And you know, it takes about 28 days. So people were asking me after. Why didn't you put this cream on all of it? Because I was trying other things. And after 28, you know, one month, I realized that this one was working better, but really better. And so that's when I started studying the plant, which to me remains one of those uh, amazing, miraculous plants. Um, And um, at the time I was working for a smaller company. Um, Actually, at the time I was working for Boucheron Parfum, but then I moved over eventually to a smaller skincare company. And decided to do some more research, fundamental research on the plant. And I was lucky to meet a man, uh, Professor Macquart, here in France, who's one of the uh, international experts on Santella. And he studies are still milestones on on the, on the plant um, properties. And one day when I was I was meeting with him and I was t- telling him about, you know, the idea that I had to create a product that would be, you know, healing. Basically, if it works on scarring, it works on regenerating and, and um, re, re, rebuilding the skin. And uh, and so um, he told me, uh, you know, when I exposed my idea, he said, well, listen, you should go for it because this plan has not been used to a 10th of its potential. So that was enough coming from him. And I think that he's right. And I still think that today, the plan hasn't revealed all of its uh, properties. Or I would say that they haven't been used, applied, but in research, there's a lot of research going on in the, in the plant that is central to the uh, Indian Ayurvedic pharmacopeia, but also the Chinese one. Um, pharmacopeia being the, the, the botanical library of medicinal plant, and uh, and so uh, so that that was what really you know got me interested and more interested in researching and studying the plant. And I think there's probably, you know, a lot of of other products that, you know, that can heal. But honestly, this one, you know, sticks out as as a miraculous plant, a medicinal plant, really. And that got the story going. So
0: what what can it do for the skin? I mean, I obviously use your products and I know that I love them, but what is this specific ingredient doing for the skin?
1: The plant uh, holds... um, four key ingredients, uh, three of which I use in the bomb. Um, mm-hmm. And they are uh, terpenes, that's a structure, molecular structure that has been, you know, historically the plant was used uh, as a healing plant, medicinal plant, but it wasn't scientifically based. It was like over time, you know, the mm-hmm. plant has tremendous uh, legends and stories in, uh, in Asia and in Southeast Asia, but over here, it's been tested uh, scientifically. And so those molecules um, have um, properties to regenerate, regenerate the collagen or rather preventing, inhibiting some enzymes and, and um, processes that destroy the collagen. So it's about neocollagenesis and, and reproducing um, the, co- the missing collagen in the skin. So that's how it heals and scars the skin. It also has properties that I didn't study because it's part of more medicinal, but it's uh, anti-inflammatory, meaning it takes the redness and the inflammation out of um, a wound. Mm-hmm. Those two things are fundamental in aging because it's an oxidation, so inflammation that turn that that it eventually has an impact on the collagen glycation and the uh, this destruction of the collagen. So reversing the two processes, it's it's. All about you know the anti-aging or regenerating. I don't like the word anti in any way. So I think regenerating or pro-aging is much more positive today, mm-hmm. because the anti-aging concerns every skin, younger or you know more mature, obviously more mature, uh, but the younger skins as well, because we we all live in a world that's extremely oxidizing and damaging. Um, so regeneration is, is uh, a process that about every skin you know, requires or needs on a daily basis. So the plant has those properties. It was um, famous and has been famous. It, 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 this, it is still famous for uh, treating any um, dermis, I mean, uh, skin affection. The most interesting part of this, you know, the start, what started the research, and it was actually in Madagascar, is that the plant was healing uh, and treating the the um, the skin affections that um, that are um, the um, the visible? Um, I would say the symptoms of leprosy. The process being a dramatic and horrible disease, degenerative. So it doesn't treat the process system systemally, meaning that you know you don't ingest it to treat the process, but it would treat because you know the. One of the um, the um, symptoms and the results of the process that it eats up the extremities, so it's ears, nose, uh, fingers. It's a horrible disease. And what they found, because it was a botanist um, who contracted the process in Madagascar, mm-hmm. treated his own um, uh, wounds with uh, cataplasms of uh, of Santella. Uh, wow! He was on his way to India. And he ended up staying in Madagascar and set up the first lab and research and eventually cropping and culture of Santa Asiatica in Madagascar. And uh, what I find fascinating about the story of Madagascar, which is a third world country, mm. very poor, cool, is that they were the first one to set up the process, um, um, of course, uh, dispensaries, but also schools for the kids of, of uh people who contracted the process. i mean the whole story is more about eco trading and and still to this day because the the disease not in madagascar but it tends to be coming back in some some countries and and so that's when they started really studying um scientifically um the um the effect of the plant and how it would work on the skin and so from what was historically kind of like empirical, because the Indian were using it, um, it became scientifically based. And it's it all started, you know, they use because this is an, an ingredient that is co- not common, but, you know, com- you know, used in the cosmetics industry. The way I use it is that we use, you know, in the bomb, for example, purified extracts that I recombined in a concentration and a ratio that is not naturally in the plant to improve even you know further and uh, and take the you know this best um, property of the plant and that's what we tested in the balm and that makes it regenerating but you know I, I, scarring and healing uh, scarring being a word that's uh, reserved to the medicinal world.
0: Wow, I mean, there's a <laughs> there's a lot to digest there. This is why we do this. Let's talk about the balm because that's I mean that's kind of the first product that everyone tries from the brand and it was the first product that you developed when you were Mm -hmm. developing the product and doing all of this research and finding out you know what you could create had you planned to eventually take it to market or was it something that you were just creating for yourself and for your friends
1: this is exactly it. I, it was purely mm-hmm. selfish. And uh, remember, I told you I wanted to be an archaeologist, and then eventually inventing and discovering something. When I was in pharmacy yeah. school, I always thought that I would discover the cure for something, which I never did. Uh, but to me, this was the the most fascinating thing to to actually come up with something. So I thought, you know, I have this plant, and you know, I'm sure we can, you know, I can find a way that what I saw in my leg can work uh, on the skin and improve the skin because I was, honestly, I've never been a skincare freak. I mean, I could tell you uh, lies and tell you that I have 12 products, you know, on my vanity and and in my bathroom, but I don't. And uh, I've always had a very simple um, routine, but very, you know, always looking for efficiency and um, and simplicity. And so uh, I decided that this product could be, you know, eventually doing everything And I had been looking for, when I was working in this company, you know, I was, I was creating a lot of products, but I wanted one that was going to be a global product one single step for everything. Starting, starting with, uh, Santella. So I based the formula on, on the Santella Asiatica extracts and started working as like, you know, a, a paper formula. So I decided, you know, here's everything I want to put in it. And I, you know, I worked with a small independent lab and, uh, he told me at some point you should stop like, no, there's nothing there uh, because <laughs> I wanted to put a lot of ingredients. And that made the formula uh, extremely complicated uh, in the early stages. But I decided that's what I wanted. Um, and um, and so it was a very selfish pro- project. Actually, I started with little um, kind of groups at home. And there was like between 8 and 12 of my friends working in all different um, trades. Um, you know, many of them were in, were in consulting and finance, others in creative, PR. I mean, and they were all part of this. Um, and that's how, in the end, when I got the formula in a lab, you know, jar, they told me, you know, one of my friends was actually still, you know, today, Sophie is a PR person and she's a, a longtime dear friend. She said, you know, you got you to sell this because this is like great. And first, what I wanted to do first was to test it. So I overly tested the bomb, just like if I was to make a, you know, what we call here a medical device, not a medication, but a medical device to make mm-hmm. sure that I would have the right properties. My idea was that there's no point of developing something that is already existing. So I've got to have something that really does something differently or better, works a different way. And that's what I did. So for one year, I, I you know, I ran some extensive testing uh, on reconstructed skins. and and we actually, you know, we eventually got to results that were highly significant. And both Sophie and the guy from the lab who called me, you know, the re- the testing lab called me one day and said, "Whose formula is this?" And I said, "It's it's mine." And he said, "Are you sure?" I'll never forget that day. He said, well, are you sure? And I went back to my papers. I'm like, yeah, it's my proprietary formula. And he said, well, you should do something with this. And Sophie told me, know, we should definitely you know, do something with this. And that's she got me to, um, to go and uh, offer it to uh, collect the concept yes. store in Paris. because my, But my, my only goal was to work with doctors, not doctors, surgeons, mm-hmm. those who repair because my my goal was to to work on on damaged skin, but highly damaged skin, uh, like post um, surgeries, post chemo, post radio, post you know um, grafts, uh, skin grafts. I mean, all of those serious uh, skin conditions, and uh, and at the same time, we needed to you know she said you have to sell it. Because, mind you, I had um, manufactured the product. So I was sitting on a little stock. And she said, What are you going to do with it? Not, you know, I intended to sell it to my same group and my friends. Turns out that I was hosting like, you know, um, parties and cocktails at home to explain my product. And and I was giving it away. He said, No, 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 don't buy it. You know, try it first. And I still do this today. (laughs) So, no, 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 you got to try it. So she said, Listen with the, you know, a glass of champagne and giving out the products, you're going to be very successful, but you're never going to sell yeah. any product. So, so finally we ended up you know going and, 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 uh, Colette took it right away. I think honestly, initially she took it because she loved the packaging, which was very unique at the time, yeah. minimalist in the black and white and genderless. And, and, uh, and then they kept it and she kept it because they loved the product. They, they got into skincare and, uh, it's always been there saying, saying that, you know, at the beauty box, they said, we got into skincare when you got here. So that was that was the start of the whole adventure after that.
0: What was the reception like from, you know, the general public, not from the focus group, when you launched? And also, do you think it was an advantage or a disadvantage to be launching with just the one product?
1: Well, you know, at the time it was like a, being a UFO, because it was still, you know, a, a, a period where in order to get into, the, because the, 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 the name of the game is distribution, you know, yeah. selling. And it was the very early stages, if, if I can remember, of digital. You know, I had a site, but at the time, um, the brands, the big brands were still debating themselves philosophically should they or should they not go online because they were you know, under contract with distribution. Wow. So the name of the game was distribution. And if you weren't in a chain like Sephora, Mario you or in the pharmacies, I mean, you had no space on, you know, you were mass market drug stores or department stores and, and chains. And with one single skew, no way you can get in. I mean, the only brand that I know of as of today that managed to do it was La Mer. But Marcus. La Mer was back in, I was using La Mer and I was living in the States. So I, you know, I can't remember what age I was, <laughs> but it was only sold at Neiman Marcus and I was living in New York and we had to have it you know, flown into New York. Oh. It was to me, to this day, it's one of the most amazing stories. Uh, and it was a single product, not today, but at the time it was. So really in 2009, I mean, having one SKU, The one place I could find a spot was Colette because it was a concept store because it was a new alternative distribution for beauty. And Colette, till today, and with all respects to all the concept stores that I love and we work with, she was the only, she, I mean, her group was the only place that could sell skincare.
0: Mm.
1: Why? I don't know. Trained staff, they had a dedicated trained staff, Uh, but really... At the beauty box, they were selling skincare.
0: And she's just a tastemaker, her reputation.
1: She was a trend maker. I mean, the world came to Paris to see what was going to be next, whether it was a pair of, of sneakers, uh, you know, um, I don't know, a pair of sunglasses, um, a phone, I mean, you know, music, anything. Um, You know, every day she used to tell me uh, that they would receive about 3,000 requests, product listing requests. How do you go through that and and spot and sniff the right one? Yeah. And uh, they're amazing. You know, they haven't been, you know, evened. And Sarah still works actually on on different concepts. I admire, you know, their work. And so, no, at the time it was not very um, trendy and fashionable. Today, it's like a way to the market because... In those, you know, like since 2009, I mean, let's call it, you know, 11, 20, 12 years, it's changed so much. And I think uh, what's changed is um, the internet and mm-hmm. the way people shop and the way the new generation shops. And they're, they, you know, they, they zap. I call them the zappers because uh, one of our customers can be buying their, you know, I don't know, missile or water in pharmacy, another product mm-hmm. online, and yet coming to Le Bon Marché to buy uh, the bomb. And that's the consumer we're dealing with. So, um, and I don't think we're in um, in an era where people, you know, it's like the full look in fashion. You, you yeah. take pieces, you know, th- there was the total look thing, but the total look, uh, you look totally looked and, and mm. you're, you know, it, there's no personality and we're in, a, in a, a world where, you know, individuality, I think, you know, of course, community and belonging to a, a set of people is very important, but in in very different ways and so they they like to go and and get the best pieces of everything um and and i think that's changed so uh, shorter lines uh and also there's no real estate in,
0: yes. in
1: distribution anyway yeah. you know and meaning real estate meaning shelf space <laughs> and so uh, and so that's that's a way to to the market today but at the time it was very um uh, very avant-garde, it was one of the, my um, strategies. And I said, no, never say no, never say never. And I, I would, you know, I said that I would stop at seven skews, I lied. And, <laughs> and I'm holding myself back, every idea, every request, every idea that comes from the market. Um, we, you know, we think, is it necessary in the line? Is it necessary in the market? Would it bring something to the line? Um, Because we work on, I realized also with the explosion of the indie brands of the skincare business and market that consumers um, are lost. I think that's part of why Mecca is so successful Mm. uh, and so different. But I think consumers get lost.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think there's a lot to be said for restraint in product development as well. I think it must be so tempting to say, well, this seems to be what's selling, so let's Mm -hmm. jump on that. But, yeah, restraint is a real skill. When did you um, turn Cosmetics 27 into a line rather than a singular product? What did you launch next?
1: It was 2011 um, because uh, I was working a lot with uh, aesthetic doctors, Mm -hmm. surgeons, don't care for products, um, but you know, I still respect them. And so, I worked a lot with aesthetic doctors and doing a lot of shows and and you know, divisions and and um, uh, conferences with them. And they were, you know, they were asking for, for different products. So the, the next products that to me were um, going to be naturally complementary because the 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 bomb was it. I mean, it's still you know the center. Yeah. It's a global treatment. It it is it. And so, cleansing was important, and hydration. And with the three, that was going to be it. <laughs> and yet, and yet, it's growing. But, uh, but cleansing is, is, like I said, you know, this is all I remember from, you know, from early my early days and my mom. But cleansing your skin, I always say, if you if you don't have money to invest in skincare, cleansing is the one you know step to never miss. It is the most important thing, um, and then hydration because water is life and every skin needs hydration every day as much as possible. Um, so a cream, you know, of course is, is fundamental, but the essence was, you know, cleanser was the, the first one I thought of and then the essence came at, um, alongside because it's a hydration concentrate. It's I always explain it as the, the glass of water you drink every day. You, know, you don't miss it, right? you, Think about, you know, hydrating your body mm. and it's the same for your, for your skin. So the essence is the dro- a dropper is a glass of water for your skin. And then, so those were the next two ones to come alongside and to be, you know, the, the, the complementary and, and then full one, two, you know, three step way to good skin. Good skin is what I want to achieve and what, you know, I want our customers to, 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 you know, kind of like oversee and you know, not oversee and, and achieve as well. Uh, and I feel that, you know, those three are, are the, the basis, the foundation. And then of course, you know, more, more came along because the eye zone is important. And then um, eventually um, I, you know, got interested in the oils because I think that, you know, that's a very important product type to use on a daily basis, but not as a full treatment. So, and then alongside you know, some serums and, and new, of course, you know, skin condition treatments. Some of which I, you know, I, I was, you know, Australia was an eye for me. In what way? Well, because I, I noticed that the, the, uh, when I, when I traveled, I was there for uh, two weeks traveling with the team and meeting the customers and meeting mecca teams, uh, that our audience is younger, much younger, mm-hmm. uh, starts much younger. And, uh, I noticed that, uh, young girls had, um, not damaged skin but you know, more condition. And, um, I realized that they were, um, using a lot of makeup. Yeah. I think it's cultural. I think it's for that generation, it's like, um, Instagram's fault. Yeah. And, and YouTube (laughs) and YouTube and, and probably, um, you know, kind of like the coming down of the KB trends Mm. and the over, you know, overdoing it, uh, what I call overdoing it. And so, um, so I thought, you know, treating the skin balance and disbalances, because it's not about bad skin. It's about disbalances and it's not about mm-hmm. the food and it's not about, you know, so healthy. But, you know, I think, you know, the, the, the routines they use on a daily basis. So um, we, uh, I, I started thinking about a product that, you know, could be worth it. And, and it was the, it is the Pure 27, which came out last year. And it was, you know, it's for acne prone skin, but not only, it's about disbalance. Microbiota treatment mainly. And I found that, you know, that was um, probably, you know, a a good fit for the Australian market. And turns out that at the same time, which we didn't plan, the mask became a skin condition, Mm. you know, the acne from wearing the mask. And so the pure, you know, find its, you know, finds its its positioning there. So it's about, you know, adapting also to the market that the demand evolving, changing. Uh, And, of course, different markets because, you know, we're very much in tune with Australia. And now with, you know, so with the uh, emergence of China, because we're we're working with China, we started with Mecca and are going to be, you know, introducing more in China slowly.
0: I would love to talk more about the product development process. I know that you refuse to bring products to market if you feel like there is something in the space that exists that's the same as it because what is the point? How does that process work for you? And also how long does it take to see a product through from the concept through to it being available to consumers?
1: Well, that's a tough one for me because I would love to tell you that it's 18 months, which is a standard uh, lead time for uh, a product for concept to market. Mm -hmm. And that's pretty fast today because with testing, it could be 24 months. Um, for us, that's a, re- a record timing. We did it on some products, um, uh, when, uh, and we've changed, I've changed, uh, the, uh, the way we, we work on product development. Uh, but, and so we can do it between, you know, 18 months and 20 months. Um, but, um, but it also, it can also take four years and never, and never see the light of day mm-hmm. because. Not only because the the I don't I find that there's nothing in the market there's everything in the market today, but there's not what I feel I should bring to the party in yeah. terms of you know of what the product would do, uh, whether it's you know the the concept of the product the formula itself, and honestly I have to, be, to be honest um, you know i I've, I've failed on some products I have some products that are to me just the most amazing formula like the Booster Twenty Seven which is our serum. It should have been called Serum Twenty Seven. Actually, it's probably one of the most accomplished formulas, and uh, and yet it, it's not finding you know it's the right place, whether it's in the market or in the line. I think the bomb is overshadowing a lot of things, but uh, but sometimes you know you, you feel you know that the product is ripe, and and yet no, maybe you should have thought twice. But it takes. It takes me a long time, and where we've changed, and I've changed the uh, the approach to um, to product development, is that I've decided that um, this market, this in this, this the skincare category, will grow from um, formula and ingredients, and what we bring that is different, I feel, um, to the market. Not everyone knows, is the research on ingredients and the way we use ingredients in the formula. So beefed up um, the, the team on and having someone working with me on ingredient research, studying the ingredients. We all have access to the same ingredients. I don't go out to the world and you know and crop a new plant that I'm going to squeeze and get a new molecule out of. But we study what uh, some of the best suppliers provide and, and work on because it's tremendous research. It's going into um, natural um, and vegetal, you know, base plant um, ingredients these days. And um, before starting uh, with the with laboratory, meaning once we have the concept, we work on the ingredients, uh, on, on what we call the, uh, the heart of the uh, active ingredients. And then when, uh, when we feel it's right in terms of dosage, concentration, making sure that there's no overdoing inhibition uh, in, in terms of what the, the chunk and the, the heart of the ingredient is gonna be and doing, uh, and having kind of, you know, an idea of the, the results and the efficacy. Then we work with the lab on the, um, on the formulation, which is the most important part, is how do you make all those key ingredients work into a formula for stability, Efficacy, Penetration and penetration being a key topic for me. And so that's when the, the, the work starts. Uh, and I've had, um, you know, instances for pro- products we're working on right now where the lab told me, Oh, that's fine. Now we have the, the core ingredients. We know about you know, what other exceptions, what we're going to put around. and um, this was in July and by September, you have submission. End of September, we'll have finalized you know, the formula. And from end, end of September of 2020, we went to end of July, 2021, only for the texture and the formula. Um, so that's how long it takes sometimes with the lab. And it is the trickiest part of our job today. Putting a product out is easy, but the right formula for me is trickier.
0: The brand is formulated and developed in France. I wanted to ask you about natural ingredients, as you've just touched on. Have natural ingredients always been important to you or is that something that really stemmed from your experience and your research around developing the balm back in 2007?
1: But it's always been um, a natural because when you study this, you know, I didn't, I wasn't a big fan of my pharmacy uh, school, unless, you know, it was in the lab, but I, I ate botany and organic chemistry for five years. And uh, when you know, you know, when you learn about botany, nature is, is a natural. So to me, to work with natural ingredients and from the um, European or, you know, Indian pharmacopoeia, I mean, the library of plant was a natural. So it wasn't even a question. The trickiest question is about what is called, you know we call the excipients, what goes around it. And of course, you know, I wanted to make this as natural as possible. but I never lied to anyone, and I don't pretend to be Miss eco certified because what I what I put before everything else is the safety, security, toxicity, and the uh, the efficacy with natural ingredients. And honestly, you know chemistry has has provided us with amazing things and I, i'm i'm putting aside the silicones and the parabens and mm. but in terms of emulsifiers in terms of texturing agents because when you buy a cosmetic product you have to respect the customer and you cannot just slap anything on your on your face and on your skin so the touch the feel the penetration in order to achieve the right product you have to have access and you know to and use some products that i would have preferred not to, but today, since then. So for example, the bomb started 64% natural. At the time, to me, it was a record formula. Mm. And that's why it was so difficult to manufacture. And today it's 84% natural because we've managed to improve what goes around, not the heart of the ingredients, not the efficacy, but what goes around the product. And we are working towards 94% for next year. Because we constantly improve because the research, like I was telling you, it's it's just amazing. And research is evolving so fast. And now we have access to new natural ingredients. So yes, to me it's it's like it's like a quest, but not to the extent of the risk you know, on, on safety. So when it's right and when the ingredient can be replaced with natural, I would do it. Um, and so uh, it's, a, it's a, you know, leading to you know, as natural as possible. Would we do 100%? Probably not. It wouldn't be the same formula. So it wouldn't mm. be the same product. But, you know, as long as we can improve, we'll do.
0: If research serves, the brand is also entirely independent. Does that present any challenges or does the, the benefit of, I suppose, creative freedom outweigh them all?
1: <laughs> That's a question for me and for my partner, my mm-hmm. associate. So for me, the second answer is like you know, it does everything. Freedom mm-hmm. is my quest in life. Freedom of choice is what I've I've, I've been raised to. and what I'm raising my, my daughter to is that you always put yourself in a, in a position where you can choose uh, and say no, which is not an easy thing. Uh, sometimes, but it's not about saying no to anyone, but it's just about choosing. Mm-hmm. So yes, freedom to create and decide, and and not being dictated by the market is one thing. The market doesn't dictate. The market gives you the you know the the trend and mm-hmm. the, uh, the the vision, but it's about you know a pressure for numbers, a pressure for you know developing, a pressure for commercial development, and um, I am not in in a, in a in a you know, frame mind of of overdoing it, you know, and uh, and uh, developing products just for the sake of developing product and, and putting them out and 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 selling and selling. It's it's all about the result that it it provides. So yes, it's a freedom that is incomparable that I want to keep that I would love to keep. And but it's it's also a hurdle because you know you need to grow at the same pace. Remember the, the customer doesn't set aside us from, I don't know, all of L'Oreal, what well, today they, they do. And I don't compare myself to L'Oreal. And I don't, you know, but the, the way they do things with the means they have, we have to be not at the same level, but we have to be comfortable. I mean, we cannot just, the customer just doesn't say, oh, well, no, that's an indie brand. So I understand, you know, they're not doing this and that, you know, we have to be at the level of the, the customer's expectations. And they've raised the bar. So uh, that requires, you know, sometimes financial needs. <laughs> so so the fact that eventually you need to, to have both, the means and the freedom, is what I'm working towards. <laughs> but we need both, yes. But we're not going to go sell our, you know, our soul to the devil. Uh, not that the devil is knocked on the door. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> but uh but for now we were uh, fiercely uh you know uh, standing on our independence
0: yeah i'm circling back slightly you mentioned that the booster booster 27 that you wish you had named the serum that yeah. perhaps it's not in the right positioning or whatever that might be mm-hmm. i did want to ask about this because i am always fascinated by what your hero products are as the founder and whether that aligns with the best sellers. Because for me, as a consumer of your brand, the booster is one of my favorite products. So that surprises me now. And yes, I mean, off the top of my head, obviously the balm, essence, booster, recovery. I mean, even the oil, I'm basically just naming the entire product line, but booster is one of my favorites.
1: Yeah, it's one of mine. It's one of mine too. It's, uh, no, I think, um, I think it's, uh, it's a marketing uh, tr- thing is that it's called booster and maybe misunderstood, uh, especially in French mm-hmm. or in other countries, because a booster is a little thing that comes to, you know, kind of accelerate or, you know, it's like an enzyme, you know, it comes in alongside something else where it's a standalone product. Uh, but it's a regeneration booster. And probably, you know, you have to acknowledge sometimes, you know, where you, you went wrong and um, out of, you know, trying to the market and trying to stick to the market at the time, because the product was launched in 20, 2015. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I decided that resurfacing was a very, um, easy thing to understand. And it's not, and, and, and it's not a resurfacing serum. It's a regenerating serum. It's a pro aging serum. It's the one, one of the most powerful antioxidant, uh, in the line. And so, uh, so I think I'm thinking about you know just renaming it for, for the sake of you know of positioning it properly, because the formula is like amazing to me mm, in terms yeah. of how you know it's been built and what it it includes and what it does. Um, so that that's one that I guess it's one of my favorites. Um, and um, but I put my heart in every formula, um, even the pure, which I am not very concerned with in terms of skin type and and you know and, and skin condition. But I, I use it uh, because it happens to me with a mask as well. And but no, my, my, um, all of them are my babies, but the bomb holds a very special place. I cannot live a day without the bomb, I have to say. I, you know, I use it twice a day uh, in the winter. In the summer, it happens to me, post sun sometimes. Um, the, um, the recovery is like another, I cannot live without it daily. Uh, and, and yeah, the, the recovery is something very special to me because of sensitive skin and, uh, and, and the way it works, it just soothes my skin. And that's why, you know, I developed this, this product very selfishly. And yes, the booster uh, is, uh, is right up there and the mask, the
0: oh, mask yes,
1: 27. I, I, you know, I worked and briefed the lab for four years on what I wanted. And I said, no, no, no. I mean, you know, there's, we don't understand. I mean, they, they couldn't get to it. And in the end, they got to it, to this gel form that turns into a cream. Um, that's a very specific texture and, and the result. So, uh, and the girl, the um, the formulator, I spoke to her last week. She uses it as a day cream. She loves the product. She's like, you know, I cannot live without it. Yes. Sometimes I do too, actually. And uh, and so, uh, but, you know, it took us a long time to, to get to a texture. So the, those are my favorite. The oil is also a daily product for me because I need oil. So it's a daily.
0: Do you find that the best sellers differ from region to region? I know we've touched on how obviously different locations can approach beauty differently, but do the best sellers change at all?
1: Um. Really, honestly, the bomb sticks out, you know, stands mm-hmm. out uh, as our iconic, you know, hero. Uh, but uh, if you move up, you know, further north, like we're in Thailand, for example, uh, essence is the yeah. number one. Essence, eyes, mask, bomb is, is up there in the top five. But because of the skin condition, the weather as well. Yeah. We're, uh, you know, we're looking at China and entering China and uh, the bomb would be, you know, our, our hero product, but probably the essence would be on par. That's what we're, uh, we're, we're guessing. We were in, in Hong Kong years ago and that was how, how it happened. It, and the, the essence was, you know, really pulling out and probably the serums because they were not existing at the time. Uh, the serums would be up there. So it's, it's a question of texture. And uh, but I also think it's a question of um, um, education, and uh, and once we explain the bomb and how to use it, and you know the bomb, and you know the texture is, feels rich, it's you know and and yet when you apply it, it, it oh, penetrates it melts and less. Down yeah down. unless it's 40 degrees and 80 percent humidity in which case nothing really penetrates you know yeah. any skin but uh but uh but really it's a question of of you know educating people and this is actually you know one of the angles that we are you know we're you know further developing for next year and that we've learned so much about with mecca and the education lab because they they know that better than anyone else. But educating the customer, and this goes back to back to what I was telling you about uh, the customers lost today. Mm-hmm. So we're we really you know trying to uh, to to service and to advise and to be there with you know this is where you know the digital has can do amazing things.
0: I imagine we'll have a. Um a bit of overlap here potentially with digital, but you've been a part of the beauty industry since 1987. Over that time, or maybe more specifically just over the last few years, what have been some of the biggest changes that you've seen within the beauty industry?
1: Digital is one yep. of them. But before, <laughs> before that, uh, the uh, the rising of independent brands. Mm-hmm. This is just amazing. It's like a, It's like a new world whether it's fragrance, makeup, what makeup you have the artists behind and they were always there. But skincare and you know, today basically you have an idea, you go out and have a brand, you know, not to say that everyone's going to be out there in 10 years, but but it's just, you know, this is a market where there's never been any barrier. The only barrier was the the entry ticket and that kept the market to the big leaders and today the you now the cards have been reshuffled and uh I find it fascinating because everyone's learning from everyone—the big ones from the small ones, and the small ones from the big ones—and um, and so uh, so that's uh, that that is I think the the, the most uh, interesting and probably makes this this uh, you know, this period uh, very interesting. And there's so much more to come because there are, you know brands that come out every day. Uh, it's not about you know having so many brands accessible, but it's about having so many ideas. Uh, and so many new things in so many areas that have been, you know, investigated, and um, and so that that keeps us on our toes all the time. And I think that's the nature of this business: is that you know you should never fall asleep on what you know you have acquired, and your credits.
0: And what changes do you think we can expect to see from the beauty industry over the next few years?
1: <laughs> well, uh, more of the same, and. Um, innovation, more science in skincare, I think, um, definitely. And probably more regulation as well, uh, which is going to make the market more difficult uh, to access, I think. Um, but yeah, there's always, you know, kind of like sided ways to access, but I think innovation um, and um, because, you know, consumers and the way they, they consume the, the type of products they're, they're buying um, and they're looking for, I mean, it's, it's endless, endless. Um, and, um, and probably new ways, new ways of, of, of um, applying, I don't think so, but new ways to, uh, to treating the skin. Certainly, you know, today we already have the in and out and the, you know, the global, um, what I call the integrative approach that we have with, you uh, know, the food supplements. They'll probably be, more of that, I have always thought that um, the um, skincare would be ending in, uh, in, the, you know, in the cold section of, of supermarkets. It did. At some point, Some Danone, uh, a big company, had you know, put out a, a yogurt. Uh, it, it failed at the time. But I think, you know, good ideas come back. And, you know, areas like that will probably arise and, and more innovation. So anything in skincare and uh and, and probably you know more more scientific people look for, for more scientific based um products that's what i think for our area
0: my final question what is next for cosmetics 27 um, um, oh um how much can you say
1: <laughs> yes well there's next in uh in one year in 12 months there is next in in 24 and then you know five years um of course, I want, you know, I have high hopes and expectations and, and uh, ambition uh, for the brand uh, to, to keep growing and uh, to grow further than me uh, with, with talents and, you know, new, new ideas. And uh, of course, there's more, more products coming. But I think uh, to me, if I had to put, you know, my money into something, it would be into research. Don't say that to my uh, partner, uh, but because, because we have to put it also in digital and grow. Uh, so of course it's about growing, opening up new markets. We're, we're addressing China and uh, there, there'll be, you know, there's a project underway. We're already there with Mecca, but we have a new project to, you know, to, to introduce the brand in China. And uh, uh, we had actually a great feature this morning with Mecca in, in style China. But so there's, you know, projects in in opening up markets where we've opened up Ukraine this year. We're opening up Poland in September. Those are extremely important markets. They're distant from you, but they're very interesting to me because they're markets where skincare is cultural. Uh, Despite the fact that, you know, they, they seem like, you know, slower markets. They're not extremely educated women very much into skincare so we can learn so much uh, with those markets. So to me, as, as long as we, we keep learning and evolving, there'll be more, more projects, but I think they'll have to be um, even more targeted and more uh, specific, more efficient, more natural, more ethical. And if you have to ask me the way to the future, it's CSR. It's the, um, it's what I'm looking at right now. We've, we're start, we started and I don't like to talk about things when I don't do them. So as long as we're not hundred percent, we're not, uh, you know, voicing out a lot of things, but we are reworking our packaging. Uh, mm-hmm. We're looking at a lot of different aspects of, um, of CSR, because I think we'll have to be all CSR minded so that's that's the way for us r d digital
0: and ethical that was michelle evrard founder of cosmetics 27 which you can find on instagram at cosmetics 27 to read this interview you can visit glowjournal.com and for more beauty news you can find me on instagram at jemk or at glow.journal If you liked this episode, please do not forget to subscribe, rate, review, and share so other beauty and business lovers can find us. I'm Gemma Watts. You've been listening to the Glow Journal podcast, and thank you for joining me.